Welcome to Time is a Squared Circle, starring Billy and Chris, or Chris and Billy, whatever your preference is. My name's Chris. My name's Billy. And this week, we'll just put a freaking smile on your face. We are reviewing All In from 2018. It feels like it was a lot longer ago than 2018, but I, I appreciate that. Well, yeah, and I feel like if we did this show back in like February of this year, it would not have felt as long ago. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, knee deep in the middle of quarantine land in the middle of the, in the middle of what I, what year I believe to be 2020. Um, That's but, what they say. I don't believe them though. Yeah. But God, such a simpler time in 2018, man. And this show does nothing but put a smile on your face. Absolutely. I um, what actually watching the show for this week's episode was the first time I'd actually watched it since we went. Oh, really? I feel like I might have gone back and watched clips, um, yeah. main, mainly to look for us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this was the first time I watched the sh- the entire show front to back uh, since since we went, uh, you know, almost two years ago now. God, yeah, it's like, it's two years ago next week. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. But, uh, my God, let's set it up. So, what is it? Like, it's maybe eight six to eight months but it's the beginning of 2018 i believe cody rhodes puts out a tweet uh basically saying or somebody puts out it or no someone randomly asks uh wrestling journalist dave Meltzer if it would be possible if ring of honor could do a show in an arena and fill uh, and fill out a uh seat arena Meltzer's Meltzer says no he wouldn't bet on it or something something to akin to that right yeah, he said something like, um, I, I forget the exact words and I'm ha- I'm having trouble pulling up the exact tweet. Um, but yeah, basically the gist is like, you know, uh, I, f- I forget. You, you might have a better brain for this than I do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something akin to can, do you think ROH can sell out an arena with 10,000 people in it? Now, if we take everybody back, this is the beginning of 2018, the Bullet Club is in their let's call it their silver age because I like to think their golden age was right when they they first started you know the Finn Balor era heading into the AJ Styles era we're knee deep into the Bullet Club is the elite like that that's 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 where we're kind of synonymous in this moment is those two together uh, between between the Bullet Club and the elite so that's Kenny Omega in the box yeah and that and that all starts actually um, with the tweet to Meltzer starts in May of 2017. Okay. Um, so, and then, so that spawns that whole thing. Cody, Cody responds that same day. Yeah. Cody so, responds, says, I'll take that bet. Yeah. So like a month and, and month, and uh, a year and change uh, yeah. before. Yeah. And so we start hearing rumblings of, do they really think they're going to do this? Do they, what, what in the world do they really think they're going to? And then sure enough, in January, February, they commit and they said, we're going to do a show guys. We're going to do the largest independent wrestling show of all time. And immediately the speculation starts. And of course you and I, uh, we had just done the year before we had done, uh, new beginnings in Japan or new beginnings in the USA. Uh, no, uh, G one special in the USA. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we decided like if, if they could get some, some killer talent, like this is also, I think this show represents so much more than just the card. It represents the beginning of the wrestling alternative. The the kind of we in the U.S. really wanted a New Japan style wrestling 
uh, alternative. And we had started to get that with the ROH New Japan Alliance. And so we got to see instances where Naito would come over or Okada rarely would come over. Tanahashi would come over. We'd get, we'd get Ibushi sometimes that came over. And we always, always ate that shit up. Well, yeah, I mean, because before that, it was that was the only way to really see those guys in the States. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, prior to July of 2017, uh, New Japan did not ever come over here to run their own shows. Right. Um, It was always in partnership with somebody else. So, you know, they ran their first shows, as you mentioned, the G1 special in USA. They were those were interesting shows because they were New Japan shows, but they were helped with the partnership with ring of honor the production side was by ring of honor the ring the ramps uh the uh, the led screens the whole entryway that was all ring of honor and plus the they brought over a lot of rings. Was, uh the only thing that wasn't ring of honor was uh the commentary talent um yeah those were the um the new japan on axs crew which would have been um jim ross and uh, josh barnett yes and jim ross struggling to remember anybody's name and Josh Barnett trying to put himself over at every waking moment. Yeah, it was not good. It wasn't great. Well, luckily, we, we, were, those shows. we were there and we yeah, didn't have to listen have to, to it. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, in this show, we did have to listen to Ian Rigatoni. Rickaboni. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, Bonnie, like, whatever. I'd like to hit him over the head with a bony. See, um, I, I, li- I like Ian. I think he's good. Nah, he's he's like he's like a lesser Matt Stryker to me. Um, and I also like Matt Stryker in, in, <laughs> in, in, like Matt Stryker. in doses. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was good. I watched uh, the 2014 Wrestle Kingdom the other day and it was the first Wrestle Kingdom that had uh, Kevin Kelly, mm-hmm. except on commentary was uh, Matt Stryker and uh, Yoshi Tuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I loved that. And that was fun. Uh, just, but, just a lot of yes. Yes. Very much. And, and like and like Yoshi Tatsu asking Matt Stryker questions about the wrestlers. So so like Matt Stryker Stryker is asking Yoshi. Yeah. Matt, Matt Stryker is asking Yoshi Tatsu about like given storylines, and Yoshi Tatsu is asking Matt Stryker about who these wrestlers even are. It was the best. It was the absolute best. And it's not like Yoshi Tatsu is like he hasn't been anywhere. Like he was in NXT and WWE oh, yeah. and he'd been over in the States for a long time. And he knows a lot of these people. He was, he was the bullet club hunter at that time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But anyway, Sami Zayn. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. I was like, that was the delayed reaction. <laughs> I was like, what are we talking about? Yeah, no. Uh, but, but this show, it, it, Cody Rhodes decides we're going to do this partners with, with the young bucks and, and for whatever reason, dude, everybody buys in. Everybody buys in. Impact buys in. ROH buys in. Uh, uh, Ring of Honor buys in. Uh, no, that's the same thing. New Japan buys in. Everybody buys in. Well, that's the thing. It's not even like people bought in. It's just that essentially, um, even though Ring of Honor was the the production backbone for this show, this was not a Ring of Honor show. So if, if you had a contract that allowed you to compete in the united states outside of your your normal promotion then you could have been on the show the only ones that benefited from the ring of honor partnership were any any new japan talent so um okada only appeared on the show because of the ring of honor connection yeah um and i guess to that extent uh tiger uh 
Tiger, Tiger Hattori. Hattori, yeah. Um, you know, he was the ref for that match. So it made sense uh, there. But almost everybody else were under contracts with Impact or Ring of Honor or yeah, they Kenny? were totally independent. What about Kenny? Um, Kenny, I think, was just part of that Ring of Honor deal. Okay. Um, because same thing, you know, he he was signed to New Japan and he, yeah, he, he was he, he was, was only able he was well. I think his contract was a little bit different because he also would wrestle for NEW uh, Northeast Northeast Wrestling. Oh, the Poughkeepsie match, yeah, yeah. So he he was able to. I think he had a little bit more freedom with what he was allowed to do in the states. That's true, yeah. But but so our involvement in it, obviously, the beginning of 2018, and we decide. I think we're going to go to this. Well, in that point, we didn't know where it was in yes. early in early 2018. They announced the the when they announced September. Mm-hmm. That's all we know. We don't know the where. And at this point, they keep teasing posts with pictures of them at different venues. And and that's right. And those we, bastards. And, and a lot of the rumors ended up pointing to either um, Chicago or was it or San, was it San, New York? Um, New York was talked about, but I, I think everyone just collectively was like, if WWE don't don't want to pay the the, the MSG fees, yeah. yeah. Which because if you're going to do a show like this in New York, I feel like you have to do it at MSG. Like it wouldn't oh, have yeah. the same oomph if you're like, hey, we're doing it at the Barclays Center. You're like, okay, yeah. that's cool, but like whatever. Yeah. Plus, I think Barclays wouldn't do it because you know three weeks prior they would have been home to four okay. nights of WWE. Yeah. That's a good point. I forgot about SummerSlam. Yeah. So speaking of, we're recording on the day of SummerSlam this year. <laughs> Today's SummerSlam? Wait, yeah. Really? <laughs> Whoops. Yep. Shows how much I care. <laughs> oh, my Lord. But yeah, so they I, got kept the, po- I got the Indy 500 today. I don't give a shit about SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah, the only other wrestling I plan on watching today is last night's Dynamite, which I haven't watched yet. Oh, yeah. So but, here's something I have for you. Yeah. On that note. A lot of people point to the beginning of AEW at All Out, which is the the a year from All In. And I realize that Tony Khan is not under any circumstance involved with All In. But how is this not the start of AEW? I think it's absolutely, it's like the proto AEW. Yeah. Um, because if you, hey, you just look at the, the roster yeah, that's on the show. It, most of this... You know, and just look at running it down now, Daniels, Baker, um, Cody, MJF, MJF, Janela, Hangman, um, Kenny, Pentagon, uh, the Bucks, Phoenix, yeah. like they're all they're They're all, all there. Yeah. And, you know, even if you look at the, the pre-show, uh, I see you, you know, half of the Battle Royal. Yeah, like, the, literally half of the Battle Royale. Yeah. So it, oh, God, it, this is very much the proto AEW show. Um, and I think this was the thing that, that they do. And, and then they say, okay, hey, we sold 10,000 tickets in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. We did, what was it, 100,000 buys? Something Close like to that. it. Yeah. Close to it. You know, I think that's when you go, okay, this this is, there's demand. We can do this. So I think you don't, you, you don't get AEW as it currently stands without this show happening. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. Um, so we hear about the show, mm-hmm. we keep getting the teases about the wins and wears. And I think you and I had a conversation where we were like, we, it got to the point where you and I were both like, if it has X or if it, do, at what point do we get to, if it has X, we're going. And then w- at what point do we get to, 
if it has X, we're going for however good of seats we can go. Because normally when we go to these shows, it's like, all right, where do you want to sit? How much do you want to spend? This this uh, G1 uh, special in USA uh, and very few other shows are like, no, we're we're doing it we're as far up as we can get. Yeah. The future um, Wrestle Dynasty show is that way. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. To, to do a complete standalone New Japan show at the Garden. Yeah, that's that's pull out all stops if possible. Yeah. But yeah, this one, I don't remember like the turning point of saying yes, 100%. I know we had talked about if they were going to go back to California, that was like a done deal because mm-hmm. we don't need an excuse to go to California. I mean, we usually tie it into wrestling, but it's it's part of a bigger trip. Mm-hmm. So I think that was one where like, okay, if it's California, yes, 100%, uh, which is even more ridiculous because in 2018, we were already going to California for New Japan Wrestling and, PW- right. and, and PWG. Yes, that's right. Um, which we'll talk about on another episode because that's going to be. Yeah, we will. A ridiculous episode. Oh, that's going to be great. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if there was a, a particular if this happens, we go, or if this is the lineup, we go. I think at this point, especially after the March trip to Long Beach, I don't I don't think there's anything that was going to stop us from going all in because it was such a big thing. And plus, um, getting tickets was such a fluke. <laughs> yeah, because you alluded to it earlier, but they sold out in what, 23 or 32 minutes, something like Tw- that. 29, I believe. 29 okay. minutes. Yeah. And and we, I mean, you're the master at this. You're the master at two things, getting things free and getting tickets as soon as they drop. I don't know how you do it. I don't really care. So they finally announced that it's going to be in, because I just benefit. They finally announced it's going to be in Chicago. They finally announced it's going to be at the, at Hoffman Estate. So it's not at the, it's not where the Blackhawks play. It's at this other place. Yeah. Think of it if like, um, if you're in Orlando, for example, I think this is the best example I can make. You're not going to the Amway Center where the Magic play. You're going to the CFE Arena. Yeah, where, or, the, where UCF Knights play. Yeah, where the UCF uh, is their, their arena on on campus. So think think more like that. Like, because um, I, I want to say the UCF Arena is like nine thousand, close to ten thousand, something like that. Yeah. So similar, you know. So big arena, plenty of space for an event like this, but not the, not the AAA level. And I don't mean that in the sport, but I just mean like yeah. the premier level. Like there, there's no, and I don't, I don't believe there's an NBA or NHL team that play out of the Hoffman Estates. No, they, I th- they both play downtown. United at the, Center at the United Center. Yes, yeah. thank you. Which is where everybody thought this was going to be if they were going to go to Chicago. Yeah, it was um, honestly a shock when we found out they were going. Well, I here. think p- part of that too comes from the WWE thing, the politics of venues being loyal to Vince, because there hadn't really been many professional wrestling companies in the United States in the last 20, 30 years that could go do arenas. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think if uh, if Impact ever went to an arena or if they were always in the Impact Dome. They so. they would do venues around the country, but I don't know if they ever did a big arena like this. Never to this level. Yeah. Um, the closest you would get is Ring of Honor running at oh, the, yeah. the Lakeland Center. Yeah. 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 Um, or the Hammerstein Ballroom, right? Yeah. Hammerstein, I think wrestling seating is like three, four thousand tops. 
Mm, okay. So I'm going to say three. I could be wrong there, but it's because it's, it's one level of floor seating and then two or three balconies. So it's, it's, it's big, but it's not like an arena. Right. So, so yeah, there haven't been many like that. And was, was, would final battles be at Hammerstein or would it be at the other one? Um, Ring of Honor almost exclusively ran at Hammerstein. Okay. Um, same way with ECW. When Raw started, they would run at the Manhattan Center, which was a ballroom above Hammerstein Ballroom. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, I always mix those two up because yeah. they look so similar. Well, yeah. Well, they, the, the biggest difference is um, Hammer, Hammerstein is like multi-leveled. Like there's mm-hmm. there's big balconies and it's a, it's it's the best way to describe it. Like the Globe, like the Globe Theater. Yeah, it's a very tall venue. Yeah. Whereas Hammerstein Ballroom is there's one balcony, but it the, that balcony kind of hugs the ceiling a little bit. It's pretty small. Mm. Um, the the best analogy I can make is um, just to give an idea of of the level of acts that would play there. Um, in Hammerstein Ballroom, I saw Lincoln Park and Blink One A Two there together. Uh, did you recap it on an episode of your po- other podcast, uh, Road to Revolution, My Journey with Lincoln Park? And I did. Man's? I did. That was uh, a, a much earlier episode. I forget what show number that was, but that was from 2003. So that was definitely in like the, the single digit shows, but did talk about it on there. But yep. listen now be- to season two, <laughs> which I'm talking about the side projects. Yeah. Um, but the the so same year. Uh, December of 2003, it was Lincoln Park and Blink-182 with brand new and 311 in the Hammerstein Ballroom. So all of them, all those bands at like, you know, big peaks of their careers. Blink had Untitled, Lincoln Park had Meteora, uh, brand new had Deja Entendu, 311 was 311. Um, so, you know, big show. Right, and then yeah, that huge show that same totally year. Not jealous. <laughs> just a couple of months earlier, that same year, Stained, who are also still very big, would play the Manhattan Center Ballroom. Oh, okay. So right. give you that, that that kind of comparison. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, so what this... I'm saying is, Impact is the Stained <laughs> of wrestling, <laughs> and um, you know, and that's well, about all we need to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all yeah. we need to say. Some people like them. Some people don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I hate Stained. So so you're saying you're on the outside of the I hate fandom. you so much right now. We, we got to break. We, we got to break that cycle and uh, get you in there. You know? <laughs> yeah. So t- so we finally go to get the tickets. They finally go on sale. The website is a beleaguered mess because I don't think the hot they didn't use Ticketmaster, right? No, and they, they didn't even use like a logical secondary platform such as TicketWeb or um A uh was it AXS? AXS? Yeah, AXS it wasn't A it wasn't AXS. It was, I believe, like their, their in, own thing. Their internal venue ticketing system, which explains completely why it crashed. Yeah, and it crashed immediately. Did, did, were you, did you have, so let, let me paint a picture for everybody listening. When Billy goes to buy tickets, he normally does it with about four computer devices. It's and like I'm, two or three at the most. It's my laptop, my phone, and maybe my tablet. And his watch. He also has his watch. He also pulls <laughs> off his work phone at times. Uh, occasionally, phone. occasionally, he actually has two laptops pulled up. 
there have been times where he's actually had to buy things or tried to buy things like a like a concert ticket or something. And he really will be just sitting there at work and, hey, boss, I need to take like five minutes. All right, you need to go anywhere or anything? And just, no, I'm just going to sit at my desk. Don't worry about it at all. And like 15 computers pop out of nowhere. He materializes a hologram of a computer so that he can try to buy something. And somehow all the tickets he gets are free. So there's yeah, that. It's not all of them. But I will say <laughs> one of the best ticket gets of my whole life was getting front row for the Lincoln Park um, and Friends tribute concert uh, for Chester at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, I did that at my work computer and I got in the front row for that of the Hollywood Bowl. But there's there's another story behind that, too, because didn't they give you like uh, like early access because you had gotten like all of your friends in some kind of weird pyramid scheme? um well yeah leading up to the like, that that album coming out and that tour they were doing a thing like if you referred the most people to to sign up for their mailing list or buy the album or sign up for their website or whatever it was you would uh you would be placed like on a, on a leaderboard and if you were at the top of that leaderboard by the end of the pre-sale process you would be given a code to be in the first group of pre-sale people and you'd be able to meet the band and stuff at the venue you picked for your leaderboard so i ended up being in the first place for the west palm show and obviously, you know, uh, everything that happened, that tour never happened. Um, so when they ended up going to do the tribute concert for Chester later that year, anyone who was number one mm. or like number one, two and three, because, you know, it was like a 20 date tour they were going to do. So they picked like those 60 people or however mm. many it ended up being. And they said, OK, here is uh, a presale code. You're going to be in the first group to get crack at these tickets. Right. But even still, like those tickets just were all gone so instantly. So even though being part of that small group doesn't didn't mean I was only one of 60 people like there, I'm sure there was a bunch of people in that group. That's fair. That's fair enough. Um, so did you think that we had, uh, did, did you basically because the website was so faulty when it went live, uh, for, for all in, how confident were you that we even got tickets at all? Um, See, that's the thing. I honestly didn't know how how the draw was going to be. I knew it's kind of like, you know, the people you talk to that love wrestling like that, like Ring of Honor and New Japan and, and that indie and Bullet Club world that was happening during that time period. You know, anyone you talk to that you knew that liked it was super mm -hmm. into it. So you're like, oh, that then it, it's very popular. But I didn't know how that translated outside of that bubble. So I wasn't sure if it'd be easy to get tickets and it, you know, it, it would sell out because a lot of people were saying, oh, it's not going to sell out in a day. It'll sell out. Yeah, that's true. It'll yeah. sell out. I think it was even Meltzer that says it could be like end of week. It, it might sell out. Yeah, I, I, it might have been Meltzer or somebody else that said it, you know, it may be a sellout by day of. Yeah. Or, or they may get up to like 7,000. Like nobody yeah. expected this. Yeah. We have to we have to stress that this event outperforms every single potential of an expectation by uh, by an absurd degree yeah, and the only thing that gave you any inclination that it might do better than you thought was the new japan shows that they'd come over and done in 2017 and now in early 2018 both of those then, even then the ticket sales weren't the big driver there it was the merch sales that everybody was like wow that's impressive yeah yeah, I, I remember looking at the the merch line in the venue and I was like, I'm not going to go wait in that because I didn't fly to Chicago to stand in a merch line for three hours. Well, lucky for lucky for them, they all sold out of merch before they could get anything with it. Yeah. 
like I, they they were probably sold out of merch before the show started. Yeah, probably. I mean, I remember when we got there, the line was so crazy long. I was like, I'm I don't I don't need merch. We went to we went to PWT. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. So we finally get so you so you were able to get through and get tickets. Yeah, and it was still very stressful because the str- site was so crashy that I wasn't like it would if it was spinning, I was not sure. Like, do I cancel? Do I refresh? Do I go back and try again? Because you're not used to that system. Yeah, it was totally different. I didn't know what it looked like. There wasn't like a waiting thing. It was like, hey, we're trying. It was just spinning. And I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. I, I'm, we're kind of unchart- uncharted territory here. And then suddenly, like, the page loaded up finally. And it was like, hey, order complete. And uh, it was one of those things where... I, I pulled the trigger and asked for Chris's monetary forgiveness after. Oh yeah. That's, that's normal. Because I was like, hey, um, so the good news is we're we got tickets, mm-hmm. um, but we're in the second row and it was like a hundred and eighty bucks a ticket or something after oh, yeah, it was it was it was it was nothing. Like yeah, put that for, in perspective. We paid what three hundred bucks for our mania tickets and we were like five five we were away from the ring we, we were, were in the grandstands we were up yeah like if we yeah. were at a if we were at a football game we would be in like the second level off the field which would have been great seats for a football game yeah and they weren't bad for mania the only thing that kind of sucked about the mania seats was the lighting yeah yeah otherwise good good view of everything yeah so we finally got the tickets and then came the actual like getting there this you had you uh had done a Lincoln Park show that was like a one and done like where you flew out to Wisconsin you were there for like half a day and then you flew home for us with this I, I think for whatever reason because of either work or whatever this was not a vacation for us this was we are going to this show and doing nothing else I think literally all we decided we wanted to do once we got to Chicago was fly in go see the bean so I can make a very immature joke and then go to PWT and then go to the show. Like, and I was thinking about this earlier. We're like, we went for, for all intents and purposes, it, we can call it a vacation, but it was such a whirlwind. Like we get there, we did a Chicago vacation and the only food we ate was Chipotle. That's right. (laughs) Like we didn't go get like Chicago style pizza or like, hot dogs or like any well-known chicago we didn't go to portillo's no yeah or pot bellies like we didn't go do anything nope. that like the only exclusive things we did on that trip were uh pwt the bean the bean and, and wrestling that was it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was great it was great and and yeah um it, we flew in that saturday and we left that sunday yeah and everything was early like our flight out there was early and we even took separate flights we were not on the same flight that's right because i think we both had rewards on other airlines or whatever yeah or that was just the best prices we could find something like that yeah i flew united and i oh 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 this is ah me i i have a free story um so on the way out on the way out uh i'm flying by myself i'm in like row 24 or something and I have brought with me Daryl, uh, <laughs> Daryl Takahashi, the stuffed, fat, large cat uh, that Hiromu Takahashi of NJPW used to carry around. So I have a Daryl. I love Daryl desperately. Daryl has come with us to many a, a wrestling show. Yes, he and, has. And so I have Daryl with me and I have Daryl. I think I have a backpack because I'm not 
you know, it's just an overnight bag, essentially. Yeah. I have Daryl, I have like a backpack, and I I am the oldest looking 13 year old you've ever seen walking through the airport. <laughs> and the gate agent has to rearrange a couple seats so that a family can sit together. And she's like, oh, sweetie, hey, I needed to rearrange your seats. But if it's okay with you, I put you up in first class. And I and I was like, and she's like, thank you for being uh, a mileage plus uh, member with United. And I went, huh? <laughs> and and so like I took a I was standing in line and I just took a picture that was basically just an ad for United featuring Daryl Takahashi that I was like thank you so much for the free upgrade this is really really great and then of course despite the fact I had no desire to do it whatsoever I was immediately like uh Jack and Coke please like <laughs> at 9 a.m like I it was like it was like well wait wait I'm 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 in first class I, I, as my first class, I can do, I, I can drink for free. Like, I can I have, can I have the peanuts? Can I have a double Stroop waffle? Like, I, because Stroop waffle is the shit. Let's have a quick conversation about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, there is no better airline snack food than Stroop waffle. I don't know if it's because you're at thirty thousand feet. It probably shouldn't matter because that whole air situation is pressurized in the cabin. Cavern, cabin. I don't care. Stroop waffle is the fucking shit when you're on an airplane fight me uh for me uh it's it's troop waffle it's, no it's it's uh, i forget i even forget the airline uh we were going to kansas city back in like 2009 for a film festival and we were on some random airline it wasn't even like it wasn't a mainstream one it was like one of their like sub airlines that's like like licensed out it was like midwest airlines i think or midwestern or something yeah something like that whatever it was it was it was it was cheap in the kansas city and that's all we needed but like they made fresh chocolate chip cookies for every what? flight <laughs> yeah like we're sitting there and i grab my laptop and I'm about to throw on a movie on the flight and like we sit down and the stewardess comes by and she's like oh hey would you like uh some cookies and we're like what like oh yeah our our thing is like freshly baked cookies for every flight and we're like this is the greatest thing <laughs> I've ever had happen to me on an airplane. Like, and she like, she gave me three cookies. She gave all my friends three cookies. We're like, this is amazing. She's like, yeah, and there's, and we're not a full flight. So if I come back and there's more cookies, feel free to have some more. We're like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is great. Was it a Saturday? So you could watch cartoons on the flight. Like, I <laughs> no, it was, um, it was like a, it was a week. It was like a weeknight because we were flying out after work and, and all, most of us were still in college when it happened. So like I we were flying that. out after, after work in class and I love that so much. It was, it was such an adventure, that whole trip, man. Oh, um, that's great. So anyway, anyways, Sammy Zane. <laughs> um, yeah, like, ah, oh God. So, so this flight out was amazing. We got in and, and uh, well, then, about the flights. So yeah. you got upgraded to first class, but I yeah, had yeah. Adam Cole on my flight. Oh, that's right. Yes, Adam Cole Bebe, who had just recently signed with NXT at the time, but he was sneaking out to the show to go see Brit. To see Brit, yeah. And from yeah. what I, re I remember about the story, he didn't even watch the show at the venue. No, he wasn't allowed to go. Yeah. He was not allowed to be at the venue, so he actually had to watch it in the hotel, but he wanted yeah. to go support Brit. Yeah. So, yeah, so you had Adam Cole on your flight. Yeah. Yep, he was on my flight. Yeah, yep, yeah I, had, I, had a, I had a free Jack and Coke. Um. <laughs> a single one like so it's in the mini bottle it's it's, it's the tiny little mini bottle and half a cup of coke like it's <laughs> so we got hey, the show we did we did pro wrestling tees which 
was kind of it was it was like a weird t-shirt based mecca like it was it was it was really really cool very small location uh because it pro wrestling tees as a retail shop is inside a, a shop called one hour tees uh which is just a screen printing shop in the middle of chicago yeah and and it was a saturday so uh, for uh, one hour tees was closed, but PWT was definitely open because of, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, they were a huge part of of all in. So and, and it was it was packed in there. Tons of people. But we got a lot of uh, a lot of good shirts available. I grabbed the the Bullet Club Chicago shirt. Same. I think we I think we both grabbed two shirts and one of them was the Bullet Club Chicago shirt because we yeah. both got it because we were we were still dreaming of CM Punk and Bullet Club. Oh, man. Oh. And that was the only one I got. I think you grabbed, was it a Coda shirt? Was that when I grabbed my Coda shirt? I think I so. Remember. Great uh, podcasting yeah. now. Great podcasting. Yeah. So it's, it's, <laughs> so it was a white t-shirt, right? And, and it had like a blue Phoenix thing on anyway. Um, yeah. So we did that and then we went to the bean and it was great. And I flicked the bean. It, it's some kind of giant bean shaped like art installation in the middle of chicago but it's super reflective so it's great for instagram pictures and it looks like a bean and i loved going there and flicking the bean because of a joke from a katherine heigl movie that's all you need to know so going to the show now um we get to the location and i tell you man like there was something about that atmosphere everybody was happy everybody was excited every like it it truly was and this is going to be a running theme throughout the show it was a celebration of the art form it was not it was not like the greatest pay-per-view on paper when you read it back um it had some misses it had some straight up misses but i think that the atmosphere and the crowd and like everybody was so sweet and kind and like there was nobody that was belligerent everybody was there everybody knew why they were there and everybody was just part of the moment and it was it was it was like a kindred thing for for all ten thousand of us well, yeah, I mean, everyone was there for the same reason. And like being there and and just the energy made me think like, this is what it probably felt like to be at the first WrestleMania, like uh, okay. a celebration of professional wrestling with tens of thousands of, of like-minded people. And obviously Mania has grown to be this huge gaudy thing over the years. But this is what I think the original plan for Mania was intended to be. And I, and just being here for this was just so amazing. It really it it really was. So we sit down in our our second row seat. I brought Daryl. We discover that we've all been given hats, like trucker hats, that are basically two biscuits making the young bucks pose, and it says biscuit party. And already we're in a good mood. Yeah, and they um they were courtesy of the show sponsor Cracker Barrel, <laughs> who catered and then provided an actual Cracker Barrel. Yes, yes, which is. Which is just great. Which so will come show, into play during a match later. Yes. So uh, this is a, a, you remember the, 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 I'm asking you if you remember something that I never watched. Do you remember the old NWO pay-per-views where yeah. it was like an actual NWO sponsored pay-per-view? Yeah. That's so what it, sold out. Yeah. That's what it was when you walked into this arena because there's a giant set. It's a beautiful fucking set but it's the bullet club logo. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's amazing. I wish that the set design would return for an AEW show. Cause it's so good. It's, it is easily the most beautiful set I had ever seen. 
It was absolutely incredible. And so then we start with the the kickoff show, the the pre-show, the 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 show before the show, the the buy-in. Um, the, the, this this was pre-buy-in. This was the zero hour. Yeah, which was which was cool. So uh, the set was was absolutely stunning. I'm there with Daryl. I'm having a great time. The crowd for a pre-show, and like half like like an hour before the main show starts so you expect people to still be filling in people in the bathroom this crowd is rocking and it's an hour before main show they're absolutely electric the whole thing just put a smile on your face there's like an opening segment um with like irreverent pyro humor because this was in like a a big drought of pyro from wwe that was like five years long where they just didn't do pyro anymore so so the young bucks and cody come out and they like make a couple jokes about pyro they're like oh this is some big show so we should also have like a like a a a famous person right like a famous wrestler from the past so out comes road warrior crush like (sighs) road warrior uh was it at animal road warrior animal so one of the demolition guys comes out oh my god and it was you're gonna make every non non-friend of ours so angry listening to this show i'm so sorry dad (laughs) i'm so sorry um no it was like it was it honestly was was really cool they threw out free merch it it, it, the whole show just put a smile on your face from literally second one yeah and it was it was fantastic so we move into the first match uh uh socal uncensored uh frankie kazarian and scorpio sky taking on the briscoes uh, the Briscoes, who I believe were the uh, current active uh, ROH tag champs at the time. Yes, yes, they were. And they, I, they believe they were introduced as such as well. Yeah, and they came out with the belts, which is why the, the match itself was actually pretty interesting and exciting. Um, I The thing that I remember about this match, because it's just a normal match, but like the thing that I like vividly remember is how you could see that the show was affecting the wrestlers. So like Essie, Kaz and Scorpio were so it's almost like they couldn't believe it was real. And they were on the pre-show and they came out and they were just like, I remember Scorpio mouthing. I love you to the crowd and like just taking it all in for himself. And it was like, when, when you made that connection and you could see that it meant something so important to them, I, I think that just took the whole night to another level and technically it hadn't even started yet. Yeah. And, and, and they definitely came out and set the mood the right way. They were, uh, they were dressed in their Rocky inspired gear, yep. uh, which was awesome. And then dim boys came out and like th- they had a great match. Briscoe's got the heat early, had a lot of back and forth, but something that I noticed here was that, uh, this was a perfect wrestling crowd. There were a lot of showcase matches. There were a lot of like more nuanced matches. And then there were uh, heel face dynamic matches. And all three of these things got the appropriate reaction from the crowd. Yeah. There was the, the crowd never tried to go into business for themselves. They never like hated a wrestler that the story told you you needed to like. Like they were literally the perfect wrestling crowd. No, I, I agree. Like, and, and and you hit the nail right on the head. Like, this crowd was there for the show. They weren't there for themselves. They weren't there to to start stupid chants. Like, that was the thing I noticed rewatching the show uh, for this. Every chant was like it was a good chant. It was appropriate. It was it was smart. Um, and that's what it was just nice. Like after watching years of NXT and that crowd getting so full of themselves and and going into business for themselves. So to have a crowd this into it. 
is it, just so nice. And, and to be there a part of it too, you just like, it really drove the point home. You were there with 10,000 other like-minded people. Yeah. And it's not like the crowd wasn't inventive either. Cause there were some damn good inventive chants at oh, that for show. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were fantastic. So there's a lot of back and forth in the match. Uh, something that was super awesome is that Scorpio sky has a belly to belly over the top rope. Briscoe on Briscoe crime. Uh, <laughs> like it is a belly to belly, belly suplex over the top rope. And one Briscoe lands on the other. And then there's a, and then Kazarian who you don't like these days, I don't really think of him as a high flyer, but I forget how much he went to the top rope. Oh yeah. Dude, dude does a top or d- dude does an over the top rope dragon Rana to the bottom. Like what? Yeah. Like, ah, uh, the crowd went fucking berserk for that. And again, pre-show like insane, absolutely insane. Uh, a, a lot more back and forth. Uh, there's a redneck boogie, uh, which kind of looks like a powerbomb cutter uh, that the Briscoes do. There, uh, uh, there's an Aranagi lung blower combo by SCU. Uh, the Briscoes hit a Tiger Driver 98 into a frog splash elbow. And then comes this epic fucking finish. Oh. This fucking finish. It was... Uh, I, I remember like being there and watching this and just losing my mind. And then watching it, even uh, watching it at home, I'm still just like... This finish this is just so good. <laughs> it's so good. So the Briscoes go for a doomsday device, uh, and they've got uh, Kazarian on Briscoe A's shoulders, um, and Briscoe B is on the top turnbuckle. Briscoe B leaps because he's going to do the doomsday device, and Kazarian grabs him as though it were a power slam, and then power slams him. Quabam! Yeah, uses his and own momentum like, against him. It was joyful. It was <sighs> absolutely joyful. And like that place blew up. Oh yeah, and 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 not to mention that not dissimilar, although not as epic, but pretty damn epic. Um, you remember when Bray does the finger point spear with Roman? Yeah. At the, at the end of Raw that one time. Yeah. This is almost just as effort, ep- epic because Kazarian power slams. Uh, Mark Briscoe from the electric chair position turns it into a pen while he's in the pinning maneuver. Uh, uh, Sky uh, Scorpio Sky leaps over uh, that pinning combination to hit a high knee on Jay Briscoe to secure the pen, uh, like so, so that Jay doesn't interfere. Oh yeah, this match was freaking epic. Yeah, this it, this was oh this is just such a great. This is what pre-show matches should be because. And, and, and WWE, I feel like, gets too complacent in how they book their pre-show matches because they're they treat them as time fillers. Whereas with this, they're on WGN. They're opening this show up to which we should note. Yeah, they were on WGN for this. Yeah, so they're opening this show up to thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that may not have known the show was happening or may not have known it was that night or or, or how to watch it or anything like that, and then. If you're flipping through the channels and you see, oh, hey, there's wrestling on. This looks different than the wrestling I usually watch, though. And you watch this match. I'd be hard pressed to believe that you watch this match and you don't say, "Okay, I have to figure out how to watch this show tonight. Yeah, it really it really did. It really did kind of seal the deal for this is the kind of show we're going to get. Like, so I I thought that we should just leave after this and go to the (laughs) hotel and order the show on pay-per-view because no. I felt like I needed to give this show my no. $50 on pay-per-view. 
okay, well, that's a fair assessment, but we were not leaving that building. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, so good. All right, so now we move on to the over-the-budget Battle Royale for the number one contendership for the ROH title. So there's going to be an ROH title match on the show. Um, uh, it's going to be decided using a Battle Royale. The following people are in it. <clears throat> Trent Beretta, Chuck Taylor, Rocky Romero, Punishment Martinez, Brandon Cutler, Brian Cage, Moose, uh, Colt Cabana, Tommy Dreamer, Billy Gunn, Austin Gum, Gun, gum, Austin Gum, uh, Austin Gun, uh, Marco Stunt, El Hijo del Chico, Bully Ray, Hurricane Helms, Jordan Grace, Ethan Page, some dude in a dress, and Jimmy, Cheeseburger. The guy in the dress was Jimmy Jacobs, recently fired from WWE prior to this. He was a, a writer, producer, right? producer backstage, um, but goes back on the indies with a lot of the guys involved in this show. I believe this was his first match or wrestling appearance since being let go from WWE or quitting. Oh, no, he was let go. He was let go because he posted a picture with the Bucks. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which dumb, which but dumb. it also makes sense then why he would be on the show. Yeah. Um, match starts with uh, Bully Ray coming out uh, and dropping El Hijo del Chico through a table. Bully Ray was in the middle of a really bad heel run at the time. It wasn't good. Nobody cared, but it was a, uh, it was a it was a feud with Flip Gordon. Um, it was dumb. Uh, a couple of highlights in the match: Trent is going to hit a tope, followed by Jordan, and then there's a lot of chaos. The crowd refused to sit down for this match again. Pre-show, yeah. Um, and uh, honestly, sh- like, just not, not to keep cutting you off, but like, yeah, for a battle royal that kind of had a, no story, like you had a, some little stories carrying over from BTE and and Ring of Honor, but for mm-hmm. a battle royal that effectively didn't have a main overarching story, this was a great battle royal. It was so good. I mean, and you had shit like Marco Stunt eating what I could only imagine is a deep 12 by Brandon <laughs> Cutler. Like, uh, there, there's a Moose got in got in his shit and then got group eliminated, so that kept him strong. Uh, Bully Ray eliminates Marco Stunt, but doesn't let his feet touch the ground because he's so tiny and he holds him up by the hair to pull him back into the ring, smack him a few more times, and then drop him to the floor. And this is, this is, and I, I don't mean any puns here. This is in the infancy of Marco Stunt. He had, he'd only blown up the night before SummerSlam. Like yeah. Two weeks before this, he was at, on uh, GCW. Joey Janela. Yeah. At, uh, oh. J- yeah, it's a GCW show. Joey, Joey, Joey Janela put on, um, Joey Janela's Lost in New York. Yes. Um, and he just got so super over at this show that like within two days, I think they announced that, um, Marco was all in. Yeah, it, it was that. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, the best friends get to hug uh, Trent and Trent and Chucky e. T get to hug, and we do get the Rainmaker pull out. Which this this made me realize something because of how much AEW we've watched uh, versus New Japan. I have definitely watched more AEW in the last year than New Japan, just because of life and time zones and and things like that. Um, I I I almost don't associate that camera uh, pull out with Okada anymore. Like it's. It's you got to give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what pissed me off? Because we've watched so much AEW, when Excalibur does not say you've got to give the people what they want. Yeah. We should know epic commentary crew with the exception of Ian Rappaport. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got, we've got, we've got Bona Rooney. We've got uh, uh, Excalibur and we've got Don Callis. 
this was a great commentary crew. As much as I don't like Ian, it was a great crew. Well, and and you had you had a good dynamic, and and it's actually kind of similar to the WWE dynamic at times. You have yeah. Ian Ian uh, Riccoboni being your Michael Cole, your main guy, straight shooter. Um, couple of little personal things in there, but mostly the straight shooter of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Excalibur offering the historical backside to almost every single person that's not Ring of Honor based. And then you have Don Callis kind of being your heel tweener commentator, but also being the uh, the New Japan impact portion of your. Yeah, just kind of like your boisterous character. Yeah, not and, not really a heel, but heel ish. Yeah, I mean, of the three of them, he was the one who had those more heel color uh, bits. But he, the three of them together really gelled amazingly well together. I thought so, too. So, uh the one thing that disappointed me about this match was uh, Brian Cage and Punishment Martinez actually had a great standoff sequence and nobody cared. Like, well, it, it's worth completely n- silent. It's worth noting at this point that Cage was nowhere near as big as he could have been because he was still tied up heavily in the Lucha Underground stuff. So mm-hmm. he couldn't, you know, he couldn't uh, do as much in the public eye because he was still under that Lucha Underground contract. Um Punishment Martinez was still with Ring of Honor, and I like Punishment Martinez, and I like him as Damian Priest right now. But I did he win last night? He did. He is the the new and current uh, North American champion, which also gave us the greatest um, Triple H pointing at recent title winner picture. He is in a hot tub with the belt partially submerged in the water, surrounded by two women all drinking champagne. That's that's Um, and I can only imagine Hunter comes by and he's like, come on in, Paul. The water's warm. He's like, no, let's take this picture. (laughs) Picture. And uh, they take the picture and they move on. But uh, I saw that picture and I cracked up. (laughs) So so there's no there's no caring about those two. Uh, Hurricane Helms, however, choke slams them both gets a huge pop. uh, And that's quickly that's quickly followed by Tommy Dreamer coming into the ring with just a bunch of tin shit. And he just starts smacking people. That's always for a good time. Oh, yeah. Um, Marco's stunt uh, gets picked up by Brian Cage and like just fucking yeeted into the air, which Marco's stunt somehow turns into a code breaker on Cage. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I've tried to rewatch it a couple times and I've refused to try to like make any sense of it because it's just too magical. You don't want to break that magic. I really think that's just like the perfect example. And AEW uses him in this way as well is Marco's best offense is using momentum from somebody else. Yes. And this was a great example of that. Is phenomenal. Another really cool spot in here was Jordan Grace versus Brian Cage. Like there was some awesome moments in here. Jordan Grace what I don't even know what she's doing now. She she, was, she is um she is an impact. She just recently lost the impact knockouts championship to Deanna Perazzo. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's where Deanna went? Yep. Yeah, Deanna Deanna beat uh, Jordan, I think, on her first or second night in impact. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, but Jordan Grace eliminates Brian Cage. It was a holy shit elimination for sure. It was fantastic. And and for those who aren't familiar with Jordan Grace, she her gimmick um in impact and uh, on a lot of the indie stuff she did um, was most people know that Scott Steiner's nickname was Big Papa Pump. Um, Jordan Grace would go by Thick Mama Pump. Oh, I love um, that. To the point where I, I want to say it was in Chikara or some indie show. Um, it was 
Scott Steiner, somebody else, and Jordan Grace as a team. Oh, that's cool. And Jordan Grace wore like the the mesh headdress and the same gear as Steiner. It was awesome. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I really like that. And fun fact, I don't know if you know this, uh, Jordan Grace is married to Jonathan Gresham. I did not know that. Yep. That's yep, really cool. Yeah. That that is very cool. Well, red solo cup for them. Um <laughs> So uh, Jordan Grace gets eliminated by Bully Ray because Bully Ray needed more heat because there was a tiny bit of ROH booking in this show, um, uh, which gives us our final two, which are Colt Cabana and Bully Ray. Bully Ray kind of dispatches of Colt rather quickly, but then out of nowhere, because he had never entered the ring because he had gotten uh, power slammed through a table, out comes El Hijo del Chico. uh, And it, he uh, reappears and reveals himself as Flip Gordon, which of course leads to Flip Gordon winning. And this is the this is the beginning of like the biggest miss of the evening for me because there was actually ROH was doing a really strong storyline of Flip versus Bully Ray. Yeah, but they decided that they needed to convolute the story a little bit with a title chase, and Flip had so much momentum behind him that like. Okay, the the Bully Ray storyline was really good, but if you're going to put him in a title picture when he's that hot, even if you need need it to be part of some kind of storyline, like ah man, I I wanted Flip to win. As soon as as soon as he wins that and gets the number 1 contendership, I'm like we're it all in, anything can happen, like li- literally anybody could show up. And, like, and and not only that, it's the culmination of two storylines for Flip. You have this whole storyline with him and Bully, and then you also have uh, the storyline of book flip like flip up until this point had not been booked on all in cody's storyline was adamant about not booking flip on all in so you have these two big storylines for flip kind of crossing at this moment and that him not winning the title uh is one of my two problems with the uh lethal flip match later on yep so so obviously that's going to lead to uh jay lethal as you just mentioned is going to be taking on flip gordon later in the show so now we go into the main show and at this point oh my god the hype right oh yeah it's it's like unbelievable like everyone's so amped like if everyone was amped when the pre-show started and then the pre-show was that good so everyone was like it was up to 11 at this point it was insane yeah, apps. Oh my gosh, it is is wonderful. So the show show opens with MJF versus Matt Cross. Goes ten minutes and six seconds, two point seven five from Meltzer. Maxwell Jacob Friedman is a perfect heel from day one. He was he has never been bad. There's a spot early where Matt Cross is on the apron and MJF goes to run. It looks like he's about to do a tope out to the outside, and then he just stops and then turns around and yells out, "I don't have to flip to get over." Like. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. The match itself was pretty uneventful, pretty unforgetful. Um, Matt Cross is pretty damn athletic. He does a a Sasuke special. Um, Honestly, the most interesting thing about this match was the fact that Excalibur hit on Matt Cross in the middle of it by calling him a silver fox. Uh, And he also called MJF MJF. Yeah. And and specifically specifically because he knows he hates it. Oh, Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Excalibur mentions he says I uh, he's a uh, MJF or I call him MJF because he hates it. Oh, I didn't I did not realize that. Oh yeah, it it was great. Oh, it's fantastic. MJF uh does hit a pendulum pile driver 
so kind of like the imagine like a Randy Orton hangman's pile drive or hangman's DDT, except as a pile driver. And he arguably murders uh, Matt Cross in the process. Like it was it was rough. Uh, finally, MJF decides to capitalize on that, tries to go for a shooting star press cross counters with a springboard cutter, then hits a shooting star press and gets the pen. 2.75. Uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, good, good main card opening match. Um, I, 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 I would love to see uh, Matt Cross in AEW. Um, he, he would gel with those guys really well. Um, he'd be a good kind of um, another high flyer to add to their ranks. You know who he'd be good with? He'd be a good trios competitor with the green guys. Oh, the hybrid two. Yeah, with and and Helico and Jack Evans, and, and they have history together. Um, they were all in uh, Lucha Underground together. Uh, Matt Cross was there as Son of Havoc, um, and uh, and Helico was he was just and Helico in uh, in Lucha Underground. Okay, um, so yeah, I, I'd I'd love to see him come over there. That'd be great. Yeah, I think they would pull pair pull they would pull well together. Yeah, <laughs> and he's actually um. A lot of people don't remember this. He is a Tough Enough alumni. Really? He was on the second iteration of Tough Enough. Not the second okay. season, but that second go they did back in 2010, 2011, sometime around that period. Um, around where Debra got started? Um, no, no. This was when it was um, still an actual reality show, not, not part of the NXT thing they were doing on TV. Okay. Um, this was when it was its own separate reality show. Um, it was the second time they tried to reboot it. Um, like he was in it, um, Marty, I forget his last name, but Marty, the moth, um, Mm. he, he was in there, uh, Eric Watts, um, a lot, a lot of good guys in that group. Um, and I'm happy that a lot of them kind of went on to have good indie careers or good careers elsewhere. Cause, um, Matt Cross especially was awesome. Uh, next match is Stephen Amell versus Christopher Daniels goes 11 minutes and 42 seconds, 2.75 stars. Uh, this was a miss for me. Um, first of all, the build for this was incredible. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Daniels got to do some incredible promos uh, on being the elite. Amel doesn't do a whole lot of promo work heading in, uh, and much to the kind of the in in kind of a microcosm of the entire build and feud, uh, Christopher Daniels carries this whole thing. Absolutely. His promo work is incredible. In the match itself, Amel is a novice. He is beyond green. But what I think this match does really effectively is it shows you how well... Uh, it, it it helps to kind of articulate uh, how much the person taking the offense, how much selling is crucial to making a good match. And we kind of take it for granted because when we see these guys that are trained to do it, we have to look for like the nuances in selling. Whereas, you know, Amel doesn't really sell for Daniels whatsoever. And his strikes are really poor. But when, boy, when he hits like a missile drop kick that looks kind of shaky and it looks like he's in a street fight and much less like he's, uh, you know, in a wrestling match, my God, does Christopher Daniels sell like there's no tomorrow. Like, it, it it was incredible the sell job that Daniels does for Amel here. Yeah, and it's it's funny talking about this episode today because um, right before we started recording this, I watched um, Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole. Okay, how Sim- was that? Really good, yeah. really really good. McAfee 
is awesome. Can he go? Absolutely. He can go? Yeah, he's never looked gassed. Um, really, really good in the ring. Didn't look green at all. Cole, uh, to your point about Daniels, Cole sold the absolute right way for him. Everything looked legit on both ends. Um, so it's, it's funny to kind of look at this match through those colored glasses now because you have someone like McAfee who I believe tr- first, re- match. first match ever. Re- aside from oh. recent training, never had a match. So like, and he was good, man. Like he did a, a swanton to the outside, landing on a mountain of people. Um, well, don't tell me. I'll watch it. If it's that good. It, it's really good. I, All right. And, fine. And that's the only, only match I watched from TakeOver 30, but um, it was really, really good. Um, so to look at this match through that lens kind of makes me kind of like this match a little bit less. Yeah. Um, well, I just I just liked it less because you could tell like Amel was gassed and he was so green. And I felt I almost felt bad for Daniels. I know that he I know that, that Daniels like he's doing his job and he, he did a damn good job doing it. But like I mean, there was there was a couple of really great stuff, right? Like uh, Amel hits a coast to coast during the match, yeah. which is really really strong. Uh, Amel has Daniels on a ta- on a table uh, and goes for a flying nothing from the top turnbuckle to the outside and crashes through a table because Daniels is able to get off to the side. The crowd, this is their first inventive chant of the night: "Broken Arrow," <laughs> which I thought was amazing. Um, uh, the other cool thing here, and you can speak to this. The referee is Jerry Lynn yes. from ECW. ECW, ECW legend slash original Jerry Lynn. Um, and he is also also actually now a, um, a trainer slash producer, I think, with AEW. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, yeah they brought him in. So um, he w- it was cool to see him here. Um, I-, I wasn't crazy about the, the ref stuff with this just because it's, I don't know. It felt like they, they wanted to get the ECW pop. So Jerry Lynn comes in uh he actually drags both of the men back into the ring and says this match is going to finish like this match needs a finish it's not going to be a count out uh he also gets into quite an arguing match with chris daniels yeah so I'm, I'm guessing that was done to give him some time to breathe i don't know probably i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case um but yeah like this this if i had to pick is probably it's probably my least favorite match on the show yeah, I remember in the in the building it was a whole it was received a whole lot better because we were uh so blown away by um I mean like again, first match, you're gonna be blown away. Like Well, it, this wasn't his first match. Oh, that's right, because yeah. he had the match in at SummerSlam. At SummerSlam. It was him and yeah. him and Neville versus Cody and I good, don't good, remember. Good yep. Um but and he also wrestled in uh in Ring of Honor before this too. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't they know. did like a bullet club. 10 man match and he was on i think it was cody the bucks and steven and kenny i think okay it was it was in it was, texas or something it was super cool because even though he had the vigilante club tron he still came out to the standard bullet club music so yeah. like, Where's Bale? yeah which was which was neat uh match ends when amel tries or when amel counters an angel's wing attempt by daniels uh he's really gassed though so he ends up just laying down daniels sets up the best moonsault ever one two three uh not not bad not great um but again it's it was one of those things like matt the the night was so perfect yeah and then and then and then the show starts to fuck <laughs> like and then this show goes from good to god damn great my 
Lord, I loved this show so much. Uh, starting with this match, we have Britt Baker versus Madison Rain versus Chelsea Green versus Tessa Blanchard in a match that goes 12 minutes and 46 seconds, 3.25 stars. Uh, Melter, you're wrong. Uh, this match should have gotten four. Uh, this match was so good. Yeah, the the fact that this match was rated lower than uh, Lethal versus Gordon uh, makes me angry because uh, I had almost no problem with this match except for the finish. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's what would really hurt. Um, Burt Baker comes out to Adam Cole's ROH music, and holy shit, I want her to have that music right now. Yeah, although I do love her music in AEW. Her, her AEW music is very good. It is. It's not as good as this. Yeah. And it is awesome. Uh, Tessa Blanchard had Tully Blanchard at ringside, which was really, really cool. Um, and and uh, Magnum TA. Oh, okay. That's who that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy in the wheelchair was Ma- uh, Magnum TA. Um, who is he? Her uncle, I think. Okay, great. Her, her, I, I forget the lineage there, but there is some relation. Uh, there's a really strong opening sequence off the start. They pretty much break apart uh, right from the start. Uh, into into groups of twos and uh, the first duo are green and baker and chelsea green's really good and this is 2018 and i'm just like i just get really sad for like whatever training in air quotes she's getting at nxt because she made Britt baker look look really good and Britt baker is still to this day just really green not that Britt baker is bad that's a very clear distinction but you can definitely tell when someone is you know green versus experienced and chelsea green made brit look like a hundred bucks just a hundred a thousand bucks <laughs> um a yeah lot, I, I a thought... lot of bucks made him look like young bucks <laughs> um yeah i thought I, I thought green looked great in this match um, i think so too and then meanwhile tessa blanchard is like the most intense thing on the planet and like it like she she comes in after this this short little opening sequence hits a full speed spear on chelsea green and just murders her like like just tell i'm pretty sure chelsea is still dead uh like god this was a massive spear it's better than spears i've seen by plenty it's better than a roman rain spear better than a charlotte spear the interceptor from Kyrie sane is 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 on par but obviously tessa's got a little bit more uh heft and because of that, you, that translates into power. It was a really intense moment. And you got to see that Tessa wasn't fucking around. And it was awesome. And it was awesome in the building, too. My oh, God. yeah. Yeah. yeah One crowd, thing that we crowd was super hot for this match. Oh, the crowd's great for this match. One thing that I that I wanted to talk about is that Tessa Blanchard, current free agent in 2020, obviously with the coronavirus pandemic, I think she's still in Mexico right now. She did not want to return to impact to defend her title which I believe impact are they in Georgia right now? I think so. Yeah. So she didn't, she didn't want to return. There are some attitudinal issues with, with Blanchard, but my God, that is a top tier talent. Like that is a, that is a blue chip prospect in terms of talent out there. And I'll say it. I want to see her in AEW. I want to see her improve that women's division. Uh, The challenge with that is that AEW has got a really, good attitudinal um uh like uh environment there's not really many people in there that are toxic or seemingly toxic uh the closest would have probably been jimmy havoc and he's already gone yeah and i I don't know if necessarily he would have been an issue there yeah but i i i would like to see him take a risk if tully is already there like let's go yeah 
No, I, I I agree with you there. Yeah, that would just be it. Would just be great. There, um, back in the match itself, like there's a ton of great stuff. Madison Rain, I thought was excellent in this match. Everybody gets their stuff in. It's not really a match with a whole lot of psychology. It's more of a showcase match, and you're going to see that throughout the review of the show. Is that there are there are story matches, and then there are showcase matches, and this was a showcase match, right? Um, there's one insane sequence where Chelsea hits the unprettier on Madison Rain, immediately eats a super kick by Baker, uh, gets immediately nailed by the Magnum by Tessa, who just just like vaults herself from the top turnbuckle to hit it, and then eats an and then Tessa eats another super kick by Britt Baker. Like all four of these girls, like independent wrestling show, and you're thinking to yourself, man, these matches probably won't have the best chemistry in the world, and like. No, like this match was insanity. Well, part of it is too, you got to think, you know, even though it is technically an independent show, a lot of these people knew each other previously, um, whether it just be from working in the same places or being friends outside of the, the ring, you know, a lot of them know each other previously. So having that chemistry outside before this helped a lot. Yeah, it was just, it's such a good match, dude. Uh, there's the it, Tessa Blanchard, with an insane back elbow on Britt Baker was good. There's a crucifix bomb by Madison Rain, which because she's so tiny, Tessa is able to sell it like it's death. Oh yeah. Um, when, when the when it's nailed, like there's so much good shit in this match, and I'm thinking to myself like, why can't why didn't I love this match more? And then the finish happened. Yeah, I you know. I'm not sure what happened if if that wasn't supposed to be the finish. Was Baker supposed to break it up? And she- I, I, I apparently, if I remember correctly from Meltzer, uh, this uh, this m- was the actual finish. But what happens is, is that uh, uh, ba- ba- uh, there's a hammerlock DDT by Tessa. Um, she goes for the pen, uh, but Baker looks like she's coming in to make the save and she gets real close. But the ref counts the three. And so the crowd immediately gets confused because they're expecting it to be, oh, Britt missed her cue. Uh, that wasn't the finish, but they hit the three and now the crowd is left being extremely mellow, which really sucked for this match, man, because it was such a good match. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a damper on on a really good match because up until that point, everything was so hot. Like the crowd was just so electric for this match, but, you know, stuff happens. It, you know, can't help it yeah. sometimes. And I just choose to remember like, how good this match was outside of the finish because i mean for goodness sakes at the end of the day like this was a showcase match like the finish didn't matter all that much but the crowd was on their feet the whole time they were absolutely electric and the whole thing was just damn good yeah i do i do want to jump back a second though because your wording was really funny and i don't even think you picked up on it um you said um tessa does the um i'm sorry uh Madison Rain does the crucifix bomb bomb on Tessa and uh-huh. uh, Tessa sells it so much that it looks like she uh, really nails it. So you're Aww. saying the crucifix bomb gets really nailed. You, did we have to go back to, to note that? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't make the rules. Okay. All right. I do edit the show, though, so I'll, I'm going to leave that in. Thanks, bud. Mm-hmm. Anytime. The NWA World's Heavyweight Championship match. Nick Aldis, champion, taking on Cody. A match that goes 22 minutes and two seconds and gets four stars from Meltzer. I have a couple of problems. My first problem. Actually, it's my only problem. Um, Why is it called the World's Heavyweight? That's so dumb. 
It's annoying. It's dumb. I don't think it's grammatically correct. I think it's stupid. I'll say it. Screw you, at Billy. <laughs> he didn't name it that. That's been that title's name forever. For 70 plus years. Yeah. So so uh, this match and this show are built, you know, because of the Young Bucks, but also built on the shoulders of Cody Rhodes. And so Cody's match at this show is a match that people are going to be in love with from the start. And they're going to want to cheer for it. And they're going to want to support Cody. So the fact that they were like, all right, Cody, how can we make this as good as possible? Well, let's go after the title that's been around forever. The only title that's been around longer than the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship is the WWE Championship. And if I'm not mistaken, that's because uh, one is a derivative of the other. given like with all the mergers and big gold, you know, eventually becoming the WWE championship, the WWE championships lineage, I think goes back to the 1850s. It's a very long lineage, but the NWA title is part of that lineage a little bit. I think. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but that does sound right because of, you know, NWA and WCW's history. And then, you know, WWE buying WCW and all that. So it does, it's possible that they are, somewhat connected yeah and overall it's like it was just a great hype so cody's gonna go after this championship that he's never won but that dusty had dusty dusty Rhodes had won three times um and that was in some way synonymous with dusty um in his uh non-wwe uh or wwf days um so cody comes out to the ring with brain with a with an entire fight crew um he comes out with brandy Rhodes. Diamond Dallas Page, Tommy Dreamer, Glacier, and an absolutely terrified Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh was actually pretty good here. Yeah, he was not. No pyro. He was not nearly as terrified as he was at All Out or Revolution. Well, they did it twice is the problem. Uh, but but yeah, he came out. He was a happy puppy. Um, and like the crowd popped so hard for Pharaoh. It was great. Yeah, uh, I loved it. The crowd went bonkers. I I mean, I don't know about you, but like we talk about the Finn Balor entrance from a couple weeks ago when his entrance music got a holy shit chant. Um, there was a Cody chant over this music. Anytime there's uh, a chant over the music, it's a win. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like you're saying, this was a crowd that was baked in to be Cody supporters. Like yeah. this, this event was because of Cody. So like you weren't going to have Cody come in and not be cheered, especially against Aldis, who Aldis plays such a great cocky bastard mm-hmm. that he really was. So having having Cody come in here and be the the kind of white hot baby face worked so well. This crowd this is probably the easiest uh, like pro Cody crowd I've ever seen in my life. Oh, absolutely. Um, Nick Aldis comes out with uh, one of the Davaris. Uh, it comes out with Sean Davari, Jeff Jarrett, um, and others. Um, yes, there are, there is one I wanted to note that was very interesting because it is at the time named Sam Shaw, who was a TNA wrestler, but he is now known as NXT's Dexter Loomis. Oh, yep. I don't know who that is. Um, so he's, like, the... he's one of the bigger NXT guys right now. He's a, he's out temporarily with an injury, but he's, um, he was supposed to be in that uh, North American ladder match. The only the only guy that I haven't seen yet on NXT that I desperately want to watch is is this the Thatch guy. Oh, uh, Timothy Thatcher. I've heard he's incredible. He is awesome. Apparently him and yeah. ba- Balor had a good match last night, too. 
I'd watch that because yeah. Balor's Balor's good, but I've heard so many good things about about Thatcher. Yeah, well, I mean, um, they they used him to kind of fill that gap when Pete Dunne couldn't come over, so they put him in the bru- uh, the Broser weights with uh, with Matt Riddle before sending Riddle up to the main roster. Oh, okay, got it. Makes sense. Yep. The Matt. So uh, anyway, Sami Zayn. Um, <laughs> no, this match between Aldis and Cody. Uh, early back and forth, really collar and el- elbow. You'll notice, like when we review Cody matches that we've seen in person, like Cody has pretty strong creative control over his matches such to the point that you are going to be watching a late 70s early 80s mid-south wrestling like very there's going to be a story there's going to be blood and there's going to be a lot of chain and mat wrestling there's not a whole lot of high flying these aren't modern matches and i don't mean that as a negative yeah, and, and this was very much one of those old school 70s style matches, even down to the finish. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I, I only had one problem with this match, and it's not even a problem I had in the arena. It's a problem I had watching it on TV. Uh, was it the X? Um, not so much the X, but the the prolonged uh, blade job. Yeah. So uh, eventually, so there, there, it's pre, it's a pretty even match. It eventually spills outside the ring. Aldis gets the heat, uh, but he gets rolled outside. Cody goes for a top rope flying nothing and eats a brutal anti-air by Aldis. And this one did look rough. This one looked really good. The problem is, is that the camera and the production are, are able to catch Cody's forehead quite a few times between now and the time to- uh, Cody gets up. Yes. And and it is obviously a very fine forehead. Yeah. And it's not even that he's getting up to continue the match. He gets up when DDP comes out and it's almost like DDP came out as an audible. It feels like it because you 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 think that like Cody needs like he goes down and it looks like, OK, he's in position to blade. And then uh, Hebner throws up the X. And I honestly thought this killed the whole momentum of the match. Yeah. DDP runs out and I like if i had to guess um if i had to guess dude my i would only i would only say that like maybe ddp brings out a secondary blade Be- my thought is cody forgot to bring a blade okay that's funny yeah that that's what i th- would think because ebner throws up the x early so my thought is cody's down there he's and he's like oh shit yeah i forgot to tape it into my wrist or i forgot to put it in my boot or whatever what do i do so hebner goes over and checks on him he says hey i forgot the blade um call an x um you know get get someone from the back to bring it out so you get because ddp does go down and and he checks on cody first yeah that's for that is the first thing he does and then Davari comes out Mm -hmm. decides because at this point we're not sure if the match and this goes on way too long yeah um we're not sure if the match is going to get called we're we're all a little bit confused so Davari comes out and it's like no we're going to finish this match this match is going to finish gets in the ring starts starts shoving Hebner everywhere and then DDP like my 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 man (laughs) And and if this truly was an audible my man yeah we got to remember folks before the advent of ddp yoga he was told he wasn't going to be able to walk by the time he was 60 not that he was going to not be able to ever wrestle again that he wouldn't be able to walk and the man the man comes back and uh, 
God bless DDP because he hits the most beautiful diamond cutter. And if this truly was an audible and DDP wasn't planning on taking a bump that night, good on him, dude, because this was so epic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, this looked great. This it was so it was so, so cool. So Cody finally blades. It's not a good blade. Um, he gets back in the ring. They go back to doing backs and back and forths. Uh, Cody misses a moonsault at one point, uh, which Aldis then turns into a fall away slam from the second rope. I thought that looked pretty great. Um, Cody is able to lock in the figure four. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. I burped first time on air that I have burped. Well done. Uh, the match slows down a bit. Uh, Cody gets Cody's able to pull an airplane spin, which that immediately tells me like, oh, okay, now we're we're in that kind of situation, right? Like we're 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 that kind of mid south wrestling uh, vibe. Yeah. Uh, Cody goes for a disaster kick, misses. Aldis turns it, in, and I needed your help here. Aldis turns it into a clover leaf, but they called it the King's something. Um, I don't know. I know he's billed from a place called King's Lynn. Okay. So. Maybe it's uh, I don't know for sure, but maybe it's something to do with that. Okay, that makes sense. Regardless, it's a cloverleaf. And then like the sweetest moment happens, like the moment where you just start to get like your heart starts to well up. Cody's about to tap and he makes eye contact with Brandy and the whole crowd all of a sudden realizes like, oh, no, he's losing the will. He's but then he looks at Brandy and he starts and he starts like grimacing and looking at her and and she reaches out her her hand and he reaches out his hand and it's like the most beautiful non Kota Ibushi Kenny Omega love story you've ever seen in wrestling (laughs) because Cody reaches and he's able to take a step or a, a hand and then he takes another one and then he takes another one and before you know it he grabs the rope and then he grabs the rope so Aldis has to break the hold and then he immediately grabs Randy's hand and the whole crowd, when the crowd saw this on the Jumbotron, like they got it immediately. Yeah. They were like, go for Brandy! Go for Brandy! <laughs> and I just, oh, it it like makes my heart, like those kind of moments you don't get enough in wrestling because it's always infidelity or I'm turning on you or whatever. Yeah. So when you have moments of like bona fide love, this just, it, it, made your heart feel so good no this was great this was really nice <laughs> i i loved it so much uh then uh aldis hits a backwards pile driver which i thought was really really weird um whatever aldis then goes to the top rope brandy's gonna this whole sequence is amazing brandy's runs to the middle of the ring she tries to plead with aldis please don't do this uh aldis then goes for the elbow but brandy while he's in the mid in midair covers herself up yeah so so she ends up taking the elbow. Aldis doesn't know that he ended up hitting Brandy. He's still a British gentleman, right? Like he's still upstanding. He was he wasn't trying to hit Brandy, but the crowd doesn't know that. So it is the perfect heat building spot. And I loved every second of it. I thought this was really well done. And then in the arena, it was like, oh, man, I hope Aldis dies now. Yeah. Oh, yeah you've uh you've hurt the the white hot baby faces uh wife white now, white hot wife yeah now, now you must die yeah exactly all this goes uh or sorry uh, cody's gonna get up he finally hits the disaster kick he does hit the crossroads but aldis kicks out and the crowd is now the crowd's now like oh buddy here we go and that leads into the finish and i'd love your opinion on this because i don't like it the cody goes for the vertebraker aldis turns it into a crossroads counter uh 
which gets countered again into a sunset flip that Cody counters, hooks the legs, and gets the pin. It was out of nowhere. This thing had no build. It had no presentation. And this crowd goes from silence to literal explosion in a millisecond. Yeah, I, in the heat of the moment being there, I was like, wow, that's the finish? Okay. Yeah. But like watching it back now, and I don't know, it just felt right. You think so? I I, I, I do think so. And plus like it, it goes in with it being a a very old school 70s kind of wrestling match. Like matches ended like this a bit uh, back then. Like it wasn't somebody hitting their finishing move. Although sometimes in the seventies finishing moves were a leg drop. That's true. So like, you know, sometimes it's not about, um, rendering your opponent incapacitated. It's, it's getting the best of your opponent for three seconds. Yeah, that's, that's true. And it's something that, that we don't see enough of today. Every, or every, every match has to finish with a finisher. I, I like it when they don't. Yeah. And, and, and that uh, great examples, Moxley versus uh Brian cage a couple of weeks ago on AEW television, yeah, uh, yeah. which did not end from a finisher. It ended from uh, what was going to be just an arm breaker. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it was, it was Taz thrown in the towel because you know, he, he got to look out for your, uh, your investment. Absolutely. Uh, Cody's crying after the match. You can see on the video replay that I am throwing Daryl into the air at this point. I that was one of my favorite parts. Like he wins and you see the crowd go wild and they cut to the hard cam and you were just like hoisting Daryl in the air. You're like, we did it. Yes, <laughs> look at my cat. We are the winners today. Suck it, Britain. We win. Yes. <laughs> look at my Japanese cat and celebrate. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so heading into the next match, uh, have to give a short disclaimer. Um, we are going to take the stance on this one that we are reviewing the art and separating the art and the art form from the artist. It's very difficult to do in this instance, uh, but we're about to talk about uh, the Hangman Adam Page, uh, Joey Ryan feud. Um, and uh, honestly, this may have had the best build of any match on the card. This, yeah, this is probably the best, um, best or tied for best story build into their match yeah so um, the, the the story is that uh joey ryan's been murdered uh and um, famous dick wrestler joey ryan joey ryan has been murdered uh and uh adam page did it but uh he's obviously hiding it from everybody nobody suspects that it's him until he starts acting weird adam starts going crazy in his own right his boots literally start talking to him <laughs> uh and then randomly oh, hey, you're going to wrestle a different Joey on the pay-per-view. Joey Janela has very little to do with this story outside of the match. <laughs> yeah, outside of like, hey, we need a good, uh, crazy, hardcore match uh, at All In. You're and and a guy named Joey. Like, yeah. like, like hey, two, that guy can do it. Yeah, like two, two, two very uh, explicit uh, requisites. Um, this is the debut of Penelope Ford for a lot of people. Yeah, if you had followed Joey at all through GCW or or any of the indies, you may have known who Penelope Ford was. But for most of the mainstream wrestling world, this was the first time anyone had ever seen her. And especially this would be the first time anyone would have seen her do 
what she does in this match because she is not the traditional manager valet. Yeah, and this match fucked hard and it fucked fast. Like this match was great. There are dueling topes right off the top, a top turnbuckle moonsault within the first 30 seconds of the match. Paige grabs a chair and chucks Janela into it. Like it's incredible. And then before you think it could get any better, there's a big giant thing and it's under a black tarp and Adam Page walks over to it and he pulls it and he reveals a literal cracker barrel. Now, we don't mean a barrel full of crackers. We mean a barrel branded by the company Cracker Barrel, which is incredible. Yes. And the and the commentary crew just goes batshit with puns. Oh, the, yeah. The, and we uh, and and this cracker barrel starts getting barreled toward everybody and it almost took a crack out of Adam Page. Like this was fantastic in every way. My favorite thing said on commentary during this bit was Excalibur saying, That barrel weighs over two hundred pounds of wooden steel. I'm like, <laughs> dude, that thing does not weigh as much as I do. It's, like it's there's incredible. no way. It's incredible. Janela Janela has a Donkey Kong moment where he rolls the cracker barrel at Adam Page. Adam Page hops over it like he's fucking Mario. Like <laughs> Page Page actually is able to vault off of it uh in a buckshot lariat uh which was absolutely incredible. And and that's all we see for the cracker barrel. Oh wait, no. Now we're going to use it as a base for a fucking ladder bridge that Joey Janela sets up uh with Penelope Ford. And then Adam Page is like, hey, I see that ladder bridge. You know, it would be really cool if I hit a burning hammer on it. Like. Oh. Pay Adam. So they're on the they're on the apron. They're on the fucking apron. And he puts him up in the torture rack position. And you're like, what's he going to do? What's he? He's not going to do anything. He's going to. You know how like what there, there's, you know, we, we get that tease a lot in in any wrestling promotion where it looks like they're about to do the insane move. On the, and it's normally the top turnbuckle, you know, like we're going to get an, an ectoplex onto the outside. Yeah. Like, like you, you, you get those teases. And then there's moments like this where they actually do the thing. Well, and that's the crazy thing with this move is I'm trying to think mainstream wise. The last time we had seen a burning hammer in a mainstream match was in the cruiserweight classic with Brian Kendrick. Like, yes, I can't think of another mainstream on television or pay-per-view match before this. And this would have been two years before. Yeah. No, the burning, the burning hammer is like on a, on a list of terrifyingly dangerous wrestling moves. Although Kota Ibushi has found a way to take it without hurting his neck. Uh, I was gonna say, wasn't he the one that took it from Kendrick? Yes, he did. Of course he did. Uh, Cause Kendrick threw everything at Kota and Kota still beat him. I, I hear the, the planning for that match backstage was like, Hey, uh, I want to do the burning hammer, but I, I don't want to hurt anybody's neck. And Coda's ears were like, uh, "What's that about next?" Yeah, exactly. Hi, yes, I would. I would like to be involved in this. We're, yes, we're not like, in a match oh together. God. No, no, we are now. Yeah, we are now. We, we've actually changed the bracket. Yes. Oh man, it, it was great. It was fantastic. So Paige hits the burning hammer onto the ladder bridge. The ladder uh, crumbles and it dents. Don Callis yells out, "It's a Chicago street fight. He can murder whoever he wants." I do love that line because it just implies that murder happens so frequently in Chicago that it doesn't matter. Uh, which is sad. And it's commentary, which is meta. Um, Paige, Paige then gets out a trash bag and we have no idea what's in this trash bag, uh, but not before. And he doesn't reveal what's in it yet before Penelope Ford attacks him. And uh, 
Paige turns around. He's like, oh, you, you actually want to fight right now? And so he takes a swing and and Ford, like, holy shit, athletics, like dives out of the way twice, does a bri- does a, a back bridge to to escape. And then she does uh, 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 cartwheels, not cartwheels, somersaults. She, she does some gymnasticky stuff to get to the back corner. And then and then and then just when you like the whole time, you can hear the crowd even still on the playback today. You can hear the crowd going. What? And then she hits a fucking stunner on Adam Page, and it is incredible. Yeah, it was a really, really good stunner, and that was that's that's equal parts her doing a great stunner and and Page just selling the living shit out of that stunner. It was it was absurd. It was absurd, and I loved every second of it. The fight moves all the way out to the ramp. Janela sets up two tables. Page counters with a super kick, and then power bombs Joey Janela off the ramp through the tables. Dude, if if Page threw Janela like a foot further, Janela's neck was broken. Yeah, like there's just Janela missed the second table. He only hit the first. He table. only hit the first, and he he went, and I say safely in air quotes. He went through the first one safely because he wasn't anywhere near the second one. If he was a little further out, he would probably have a broken neck. And they set up the second table so that he could have that coverage because they knew that Paige wasn't going to be able to be super accurate with it. Yeah. Um, Whereas Paige, if they only set up one, it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically enough, Joey, I, Joey uh, is actually fine. Um, Paige drags him back in. Paige's facial selling is really strong at this point because it's very clear that like, that like he wants to murder Joey like from his facial reactions. Um, he pulls Joey back in. He hits a buckshot lariat. Uh, he tries to hit the dead eye, but uh, there's the, the trash bag is brought forth by Penelope Ford who opens the bag and there are the boots, the magic talking boots, which, which leads me to my favorite crowd chant of the night. Cause all of a sudden 10,000 people are just going boots, 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 <laughs> boots. <laughs> It's fantastic. It, it lets it lets uh, uh, it lets uh, Joey Janelle get a little bit of offense in, and then finally it leads to the finish, which is uh, Janelle sets up a table and a ladder. Uh, Paige digs through the trash bag and grabs what he was actually expecting to find, which was a which was the phone he killed Joey Ryan with, and he's like, "All right, I'm going to kill another Joey yeah. in Chicago," <laughs> and he goes up to the top of the ladder with Janelle bashes him in the head with the rope, wraps the the cord around his neck, and then hits the dead eye. I actually no, he had an air raid crash, didn't he? It wasn't the dead eye. No, it was the dead eye. It was the dead eye. Okay. Mm-hmm. He hits the dead eye, which at the time was called the rite of passage, on Joey Janella from the top of a ladder through a table. Oh my God. Oh yeah, my God. This was this was amazing. Like this <laughs> like I can't believe how good this match was. <laughs> I'm, I read it back to myself and I was like, how is this match so good? And it's like, just, he killed him. It was, and, and when you watch it back, it was a completely safe execution. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was. Mm. Well, that, that was the thing, the way it, it was the dead eye, but the way it ended up looking to make it safe, it looked more like an air raid crash, but it, it, it was, I mean, commentary called it the, the, the rite of passage and everything. Yeah. So then after the match, everything goes dark. And you, you, it, it, the lighting kind of turns purple, and you see what appear to be druids walking out, except they don't look like druids. This whole sequence, and look, we're going to separate the art, the art from the artist here, and we have to, you know, 
all of the allegations against Joey Ryan are incredibly serious and they should be respected and listened to. Uh, but in this moment, in this microcosm of not knowing anything and, and this build for this match, a phalanx of phalluses appear. Now, I have to remember, is that is that a did you think that up or is that a no that was Excalibur I was gonna say did you ever think uh at a point in your life you would have to uh, conjure up those series of words yeah a phalanx (laughs) so a bunch of penis druids it's a bunch of dudes a bunch of geeks just wearing penis air uh uh, air blow up penis costumes we are talking and, and like they come out they line up like they're the fucking undertaker's druids they touch tips and joey ryan's music hits yeah, and it uh, it also brings uh, one of my favorite commentary lines of the night from from Don Callis. Don Callis. Uh, he you know, once Joey Ryan comes back out, he says it is a genuine res erection. He has come again, like, and and Adam Page is like watching this back. Like I'm, you know, I'm watching them typing up my notes and everything, and then all of a sudden I just look up at the screen and I see Adam Fa- Page's shocked face. Oh yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. It his is so was, funny. His, I'm surprised it hasn't been made into a meme. His, it, it's almost like, in the, that predates shocked Pikachu, doesn't it? Yes, it's pretty on par with that. Yeah, it, it really, it absolutely, really is. So Joey Ryan comes out. He does his bit against uh, Adam Page, and Adam Page gets uh, super kicked into oblivion, and <laughs> he gets carried out of the arena. By the penis druids and the crowd this is my favorite chant of the night <laughs> chance rest in penis yeah that was that was pretty good it was it was great it was fantastic match got 4.25 stars from melter 20 minutes 10 seconds i'm good with that yeah yeah so now we move on to uh jay lethal versus flip gordon for the roh title 14 minutes 23 seconds this one gets three and a half stars what is your problem with this match? Um, so you build up this whole thing. Flip wins the battle royal. He is white hot. The crowd loves him. If you're ever going to put the title on him, now is the time. Yeah. We're in the middle of a middling Jay Lethal title run. Um, it's almost like they just kept the belt on him because they didn't know who else to put it on. Yep. Um, which makes even less sense because I think he didn't lose the title until it, it takes a while for him to lose the title. I don't even remember who he lost it to. It, it shows you how middling it was. Yeah. Um, but so you get this whole thing. You're like, all right, this is this is it. You have this white hot crowd. You have Flip who is so over and he fought his way onto this card. Like if you're going to put the belt on him, this is such a great way to do it. And not only do you not have him win the match, but you have the whole storyline is like, you know, lethal comes out as black machismo. Yeah. So talk me up about uh black machismo. Apparently it was something he had done before. Now the, the BTE storyline with Jay lethal, this is my, th- my problem with it is that, is that this is a, this, these are two great storylines that shouldn't have been combined together. That's my biggest problem because I loved the Black Machismo stuff on on being the elite. Jay Lethal's got like a trap injury, which when someone smacks the trap, turns him into Black Machismo. And apparently this wasn't the first time. Like apparently it was a thing from a really long time ago. Yeah. And and 
and it's been it's been well known and documented like jay lethal does some really good impressions of wrestling legends uh macho man's one of them rick flair is one of them like he's really good at that but like i just it took any any level of um of seriousness out of this match i agree but but i felt like i felt like if the match had a different finish if it was uh flip hitting the hit, uh winning the match like that would have made it all okay it would have but like i still wouldn't have liked the black machismo thing i still wouldn't have liked flip doing the hogan bit yeah so so a couple so so here are the highlights the uh black machismo comes out with lanny poffo he's wearing an actual uh macho man randy savage jacket supposedly um, from oh. from when he debuted on nitro yes uh, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, he immediately thinks Brandy Rhodes, who had come out with Flip, is uh, Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. I thought everything involved with that was was pure comedy. He does the celebration bit with Brandy. Um, Br- uh, Brandy, what her comedic timing was was incredible. Uh, everybody booed when he wasn't Black Machismo. Uh, uh, there is a bit in the middle where Flip uh, hulks up. And uh, Ian Ian uh, Penne Pasta hits uh, hits us with a oh it's the Ultimate Warrior no you dumbass um, there's uh, so so you have the Hulk bit I actually thought I actually thought all of that was really cool and if it was anybody else as, as opposed to Flip this would have been dope this would have been awesome uh, but instead you have, like you said, this is the combination of two storylines that just don't work well together. One thing that I do want to note from the match is that in the middle of the match, after this, uh, mega powers collide bit, uh, Ian, what's his name says, uh, 2018 is the craziest year I've ever lived in. Yeah. About that. Aged like milk. Uh, Jay Lethal hits the lethal injection injection and gets the win. Um, Flip's offense, you often get you often forget how good his offense is. He has one move called the Samoan pop, where he literally practically springboards off of his own neck after hitting a Samoan drop to kip up himself. I thought that was really epic. Yeah. Um, but but Lethal wins. Bully Ray attacks after the match. Colt Cabana comes in for the save. They hit the they they go to lift up. Uh, bully ray to do a triple power bomb and the crowd it sounds like they're booing and they're doing roman reigns's ooh oh yeah and i loved it oh yeah yeah it was this was a this was a fun little bit and anything to see bully ray get his i'm all for yeah it was it was fantastic so uh moving on to pentagon versus kenny omega 17 minutes 46 seconds 4.5 stars billy this is a dream match it was a showcase match it didn't have any storyline um Kenny Omega referred to Pentagon as uh, that crazy guy from Impact. Yeah. Um, uh, this match is just a ton of super fast moves. It's epic. Uh, there's a ton of V triggers. There's uh, package pile drivers. There, uh, there's a bunch of super kicks and suplexes and superplexes. Uh, Kenny Omega took a chop right in front of John Mayer. Like, and, that and Jensen Carp. Shout out Jensen Carp. Uh, like this was absolutely incredible. This match was amazing. Yeah, this I loved this match in the venue, and I think I loved it more at home. I I completely agree. Um, 
it's so cool. There was one sequence that I loved in this match. Uh, I, I guess Pentagon has a move called the Pentagon driver that I've, or the Penta driver or whatever. I've never seen it before. Uh, but basically it's a pump handle driver. I hate pump handle moves because it, they're so impossible to set up and make look smooth. Yeah. And Pentagon proved me wrong in every possible way. So Kenny, Kenny tries for an overhand, uh, attack, uh, which allows Pentagon to grab one of the arms. Uh, Kenny then goes for an underhand attack with his other arm, which Penta then immediately transitions and gets uh, Kenny into the pump handle position to hit the Pentagon driver. This thing was so graceful and smooth. I was blown away. Yeah. I was completely blown away. And this was a close two count. Oh, yeah. This was a 2.999. My repeating, like, forever. Oh, my God. Uh uh, Pentagon also hits a package pile driver on the fucking apron. This looked terrifying. This whole sequence I loved between him cursing at him and and commentary being like, "Well, that wasn't very nice," or whatever they said. They said something yeah. about it, and uh, and then that the, this package pile driver was just disgusting. Uh, crowd at this point is just going to be doing a standing O for the rest of the match. Omega's going to recover. He hits a package pile driver of his own. Then just massive V trigger, uh, one wing angel attempt. Uh, arm breaker attempt by Pentagon, package pile driver, and Omega is going to kick out again. Uh, the crowd is now fully alive in the wake, and then we have our classic New Japan finish of just V trigger, poison run, a V trigger, one ringed angel. Kenny Omega gets the win. Fuck, this match is good. And that this made Pentagon look so great too. Like it took five tries of doing the one winged angel. Yeah, and five attempts. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, five dollar foot long <laughs> it was so good after the match chris jericho attacks kenny omega uh and and he's promoting his 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 upcoming cruise like which was great i thought yeah I thought that I, was and this is smart because you're, you're you're building up the the whole uh alpha club versus bullet club thing yep um because this was after their first match yeah yeah their, their first match was uh earlier in the year at wrestle kingdom yep um so yeah jericho was already i think jericho was intercontinental champion at this point wasn't he yes he was yeah he, he had beaten naito at uh dominion a thingy yeah yeah he jericho won the the ic title and omega won the the heavyweight title at dominion gotcha yeah yeah god that dominion match god talk about matches i wish i had been at oh my god uh so 4.5 stars i agree i thought it was a great match yeah this match was fantastic yeah. So now we move into Marty Scurll versus Kazuchika Okada. 26 minutes, six seconds, 4.25 stars. I will beat Meltzer with a steel bat. This match should have gotten five stars. I love this match. This is my favorite in-person match ever. And again, separating art from the artist, Marty Scurll has had uh, recent allegations of abuse of his own right. I can't separate the fact that I enjoyed everything about this match. This match was a joy to watch. It was a masterclass in storytelling. I I loved this match so fucking much. And and, and Marty Scurll's your favorite wrestler, or he was your favorite wrestler at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, at, at, during that that point, he was my favorite Bullet Club member. He's one of my favorite wrestlers at the time. Um, so I was just so insanely rooting for him. Like I'm like, man, if because the storyline, th- this this story and the the Hangman Joey Ryan story going into this pay per view are my two favorite stories. Um. And oddly enough, my two 
uh, two of my favorite matches on the show. Um, and with this, just I, I was like, please, God, like, if you let Marty beat Okada, like, what a story that is. Yeah, uh, it, uh, it was it was so good. And the story was was really like members of Bullet Club are saying, oh, yeah, we, we booked you against Okada. You're not going to win. Like that was the build. The build was Marty's a junior heavyweight. Okada is the greatest of all time. Like Marty's not going to win. And I'm going to go on a rant on this one because first of all, you don't, we don't get trunks Okada. We have pants Okada. So that disappoints me. Um, this was right after he had lost to, to Kenny at dominion. Um, and I believe the G one had already happened. So he had already lost, uh, to Tanahashi, uh, at that point. Yeah. Uh, so this is totally pants. Okada lost identity, red hair, messed up rainmaker theme uh and so we we didn't know what we were going to get from this okada uh i want to talk about why i love this this match so much one you have cocky heel okada who is that is prime okada that is okada at his best he, he can't do it now because he's the ace of njpw but cocky heel okada is the is, is just the, he's the best he's, he can be cocky because he's the best and and the story is that it's a combination of Marty's intelligence plus cocky Okada that allows the field to even up. Uh, Okada like posts himself really early, which allows Marty to target the the Rainmaker arm. Uh, it positions Marty as like an extremely intelligent, and you have it, it was such a smooth transition from Okada doing power moves to. Marty getting one or two shots in to all of the sudden, uh, this isn't David versus Goliath anymore. This is an even killed match. Uh, uh, there's this epic uh, chops sequence by Marty where he's just chopping the shit out of Okada. And then Okada just fires back with one elbow and knocks Marty down. And then there's what I consider to be the turning point in the match, which is a straight jacket hold by Okada. Okada has knocked uh, Marty down and he starts a straight jacket hold. Um, Marty, over the course of about a minute, this was a long rest hold, but over the course of about a minute, Marty powers out of the straight jacket hold and turns into a lung, a lung blower. And it was a straight power for power move that Marty was able to capitalize on. And, and in my opinion, that's the turning point for now the switch is turned. We believe Marty can hit all these power moves and we believe Marty can take all these power moves. They, the booking made Marty look so fucking good. And it wasn't until after that moment that you see Marty get to be Marty, right? Like you don't see the fake out until after that moment. And you don't see the chicken wing attempts until after that moment. This is, oh God, this is where the match went from good to great for me is seeing how they were able to play the psychology and make you believe because they told you, they told you literally the entire time. Marty's not going to win this match. Marty is not going to win this match. Everybody in the bullet club said Marty is not going to win this match, but the beauty and the masterclass of this match between Marty and Okada is that they made you believe that Marty was going to win or that he had a shot to win. And I think that's the biggest compliment you could give this match. This match was fucking phenomenal. Absolutely. And, and, and you're right. Once, once that shift happened, the crowd was just so crazy into this match, like, like standing up loud as hell, like and us included. Um, this is the match where you and I are the most visible. Oh, really? I didn't um, notice that. And I, when I was watching it earlier, um, 
Courtney and I were sitting here and you just, you could watch me through the last like five minutes of this match. Oh yeah. Cause you're stressed as all hell. Oh my God. Like, uh, when he does the chicken wing, when, when, uh, Okada does the two Oh five, uh, this, yeah. The two Oh five moment is like an encapsulation of how wonderful this match is. Yeah. Okada hits the tombstone. He sets, uh, he sets Marty up for the rainmaker. He does, he does a taunt towards the, he looks at the camera, which is zooming in on him. And he says two zero five. And when he hits the five, Marty grabs his hands and he does the finger breaking, uh, finger break, uh, spot. And all of the sudden, all bets are fucking off, right? Like, uh, Okada tries the rainmaker again. Marty counters it into a chicken, chicken wing crowd is losing their shit. And if you didn't think they lost their shit, then wait until Okada breaks out of that chicken wing. And then Marty just goes, Nope, I'm going to put you in it again. That second chicken wing. You're oh like, my God. Oh God. That matches end this way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the, that second chicken wing, that crate, uh, that crowd was just nuts. Like, Oh my God. E- even, even on TV, like so loud. And then you get into the, the final, the finale sequence of this match, which is a tiger Hattori ref bump. Uh, but it's a short ref bump, which made me okay with it. Marty then grabs an umbrella, uh, which is his signature at the time. Uh, uh, there's a one other rainmaker attempt by Okada. Marty turns around and opens the umbrella and it says all in. He closes the umbrella fucking domes Okada in the head and then hits a rainmaker of his own oh, man. on Kazuchika Okada. And this crowd lost their goddamn shit, uh, including me. I, 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 if, if you do go back and watch this show, look in the upper left-hand corner of the screen, like where the crowd is around the second row, and watch this entire sequence, but watch me. Yeah. I am losing my mind. <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, that it, it ends up uh, leading... Uh, uh, Marty actually finally gets to do his chicken wing pose. Okana, Okada, Okana, Okada <laughs> counters it into a rainmaker. Crowd does the "This is awesome" chant. Uh, we're pretty much downhill from here. There's a final standoff. Marty, Marty spits at Okada, which is like his final act of defiance. Okada then hits the discus rainmaker, followed by the rainmaker, and gets the one, two, three. You were like, if I remember correctly, you were defeated after this match, and I was blown away. I, I, I just so believed that Marty could win. <laughs> Yeah, this is the, it was like and, it wasn't an NJPW show. It wasn't a it was an independent show. I think the fact that it was an independently booked show made you think that anything could happen. Well, and that's the thing too. like, you know, find a find a better duo. Uh, Marty losing and Billy being sad live in the venue. Um, yeah, you have it here. You have it at G1 Supercard <laughs> like and the G1 Supercard one was even worse. Like here, I could be like, all right, hey, he just lost to one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, Kazuchika Okada. At G1 Supercard, I had to sit there and accept the fact that Matt Taven just beat Marty Skrull for the Ring of Honor Championship. Like, like we're going to talk about when we get to that show, but man, Ring of Honor screwed the pooch every possible moment of their portion of Supercard. They screwed it so much that it is a bond that has yet to be uh, repaired between Ring of Honor and New Japan. Think about that. Yeah. It's been a year and a half. Well, I mean, can you really... Also, we're recording this a day after what would have been Wrestle Dynasty. Yeah, that's true. Which, which, think about this, and and granted, I don't know what the schedule of the world would be like if if the pandemic didn't happen, but if if that was the case, like if, if all the wrestling shows happened on the days that they all would have happened, last night would have been NXT TakeOver 30, Wrestle Dynasty, 
and uh, Saturday Night Dynamite. That's insane. Like now, maybe they don't shift to the Saturday night because the NBA playoffs. If Dynasty and Takeover are both on, maybe they go to Friday or maybe they go to Thursday. I don't know, but yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a weekend of wrestling right there. God, that's a yeah, that's a you order the Bogo from Pizza Hut and you eat the one pizza on Saturday and the next pizza on Sunday when you wake up to finish watching wrestling. Oh, I love that thought. <laughs> I love pizza. Yeah, pizza. All right. Good. So we got one more match on the show. Uh, this is the this is the shitty part of the of the program here because Okada pulled an Okada, and because we got this beautiful eight star match from these two, um, that really hurt the time for Kota Ibushi and the Young Bucks versus Bandito, Phoenix, and Rey Mysterio. Unfortunately, only goes eleven minutes forty two seconds. Still gets four point five stars from Meltzer. It's a PWG. Uh, Tr- uh, trios tag matches all this is oh this match is is fast furious and insane uh in all the best ways but like if for, for those wondering why this match was impacted by the previous match um you know we're so used to at this point at least we're so used to wwe running their pay-per-views on their streaming service so if they go over who cares wrestlemania seven hours whatever doesn't matter um, New Japan runs on their streaming service as well. So if they run... If they go two hours and 41 minutes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, this show, despite having the, the Ring of Honor production backing, was all completely financed by Cody and the Bucks. So they had to buy the blocks for pay-per-view. And pay-per-view was really the only place this was. It was on iPay-per-view via Fight TV and regular traditional pay-per-view, via, uh, pay-per-view via cable providers. So they bought their block of um, four hours uh, plus the additional one hour block of the pre-show. So they could not go beyond that four hour mark. And like, if you go back and watch the TV version of this show, the mat, the pinfall happens at the end, the music hits and Ian Ricaboni Rick- is like, thank you guys for watching all that. Blah, blah. And like, you can hear him being faded out, cut out audio wise as the logo comes up and they are done. They, they, they were done in like, with a second three seconds clear yeah it was unreal yeah um a couple of really really awesome moments for this match is the crowd got mega hyped for ibushi versus mysterio and <sighs> yeah like the, i know the only time i think it's ever happened i was gonna say i i know that i'm pretty sure that he's already re-signed and i know he was going to re-sign because of dominic but yeah could, could you imagine ray and dominic mysterio going to aew uh, you know, and Dominic, you know, forms a trio team with Penta and Phoenix and get, that's how he gets his training. It's from two of the best luchadors in the world. Like, uh, Nick Jackson is obviously wonderful in this match. There's golden triangles. There's springboard moonsaults on literally everybody. Everybody gets to hit a twisting dive. Uh, Matt Jackson leaps full speed off the ramp into Bandito, which was fun. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the camera angle they show that at looks like, bandito just ate a face full of flying matt jackson ass (laughs) like it doesn't even look like one of those deals where he lands on six people like it just looks like he ran did a flip and his ass went directly into bandito's head and nobody else yeah it's 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 incredible uh we get the but we still get all the good stuff we still get uh the golden triangle we still get the super kick party we still get more bang for your golden buck um, dude that's the thing about this match that blows me away even more so watching it now at home like in the venue it felt very rushed yeah but watching it here i i don't 
think it felt as rushed as we thought it was. It still could have benefited from being a bit longer for sure, but mm-hmm. it, uh, the, the match played much better than... I think so. Yeah. The only thing, honestly, the only um, visual visible issue spot-wise and planning-wise in this match is the ending just feels weird because Phoenix like looks at the finish and doesn't try to do anything. Yeah, he there was a there was one move that that somebody kicked out of and that uh, and that set up the uh that set up the uh the five-star melter driver. Yeah. But Phoenix had, went for the save on the first attempt and then rolled himself out of the out of the ring. Yeah. It was like, "Whoops." And then he just like looked at it. He rolled out and was like, "Oh, hey, yeah. Oh, yep, it's over." All right. Yep. All right. Going to go get a juice box. I I don't agree that 4 point <laughs> juice Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> God, um, I love Blank Check. That's uh, <laughs> such a bad movie. So good. Um, I don't think the match got 4.5 stars. I don't really agree with it because I did think it was so rushed, but it's fine. At the end of the day, this pay-per-view was the beginning of a revolution, and it was a pure night of joy that just celebrated professional wrestling. It's like it was the first time that streaming media was... Uh, was used for uh for for telling a wrestling story like yeah th- everything was built through a youtube tv show you know and, and it it proved that there's still ton to innovate in terms of storytelling in the field the show watching it back it had a lot more misses than i remember but i don't give a shit about them because no, as matter. a whole yeah as a whole it was so much better than the sum of its parts and i, I I don't know, man. It. I would still argue it's a perfect show. It's one of. I still can't. I, I still couldn't give you a, a. We've been to you know eighty nine shows between the two of us, fifty between like the between you and me. Like, I can't tell you that this wasn't my favorite show that I've ever been to. It's it's tough, man. Like this show is definitely going to be up there for so many reasons. One, how close we were, and how and. Uh, you add that onto how significant of a show in wrestling history this ends up being. Yeah. Um, and plus, the, Rum- the, I, like, like, go ahead. Sorry. Like, and, and plus, like the love we have for that era of Bullet Club, and and now what that's transformed into AEW. Like, like, yeah, this show is always going to be up there for me. But like, like you were saying, like the Rumble 2016, like that's a moment I'll always, I'll never forget. Yep. Um, yep. New Japan special. Yeah, like G one special that, that, night one, night one, us being front row and and getting these interactions, and we'll talk about them in, in detail. But like getting interactions with some of these guys, and and you know, red shoes coming over and shaking our hand before the event started, like drunk off his ass. The show hadn't even started yet, which in theory, now that I think about it, he probably came over and he shook our hand right after he shook Tony and. Um, yeah, because he was going in a in a line. Marvez, around. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's pretty cool. So we've we shook the hands that shook your hands. <laughs> <laughs> wow, brought it back to a Scott Pilgrim reference. Excellent. It, it's it's great. So this show offers you everything: wrestling, blank check, and Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That's that's Billy in a in a nutshell. Yeah, pretty much. God, dude. Yeah, it's one of my favorite shows. I, there's not too much else I can say about it. It was a wonderful yeah. experience. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Like I wanna, I can't wait to go back to any kind of AEW show that that tries to re-encapsulate this feeling. It's why this show is the reason why you don't like uh, independent contractor status 
uh, being that you can get locked into a co- to one company. I agree. Like it, it's this show proves that like even though ROH isn't necessarily the best company in the world, and even when they were partnered with them, but the fact that they had the talent that they did, that they were able to create such incredible storylines within JPW, like it, it, wrestling's always better when it's everybody all at once. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and that's why I think, you know, the name for this show is, is a double entendre. Um, you have it mean, you know, that Cody and the Bucks were all in with their, with their money. They, they, they put yep. their money all in and they made this show, but it also like a neck tattoo. Oh, no, <laughs> but, but then you also take it as, you know, everyone's all in this wrestling world together it's only certain people are putting these walls up to separate them like when and you see how good of a show this becomes when everyone's all in you know the same boat yeah so i completely agree god i love this show it's such a great fucking show and honestly in the middle of a pandemic what a perfect time to watch it absolutely and it just made you happy and like coming up on the two-year anniversary of the show um we're coming up on all out like i think this is a really good time to watch it so thank you random number generator for picking this and speaking of of, that's a hell of a segue that's such a good segue that paul blart rides it around the mall i'm gonna check that one off my bingo card now (laughs) see we got everything scott pilgrim paul blart Blank check. <laughs> yep. All right. So I have our number generator up here. And for reference. Hold on. He, he literally makes out with a grown woman. Yep. Yep. Sure does. God. Yep. It's like a four-year-old cashing a million-dollar check. And he. Oh, okay. Do the number. I'm, I'm going to mute. <laughs> and for reference, we have uh, we have done event number 32, which was NXT TakeOver Our Evolution. Uh, event number 19, which is the Royal Rumble 2008. And event number 74, which was all in in 2018. I, to- I totally thought you were going to be like, for reference, Blank Check is... <laughs> <laughs> blank Check is a 1993 film from the Walt Disney Company. Um, okay, so we uh, we have our number generator keyed up. We are going from 1 to 80 minus those three numbers I just mentioned. And our number... Okay, we have our number. It is number 39. And let's Uh-oh. go check here. Do you already have it up? No, I don't. Oh. I should, probably should. All right, number 39. No, no, Element of Surprise. I'll give it to you. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. So number 39. Next is- week on... <laughs> Number 39 will be the next episode we talk about. It is a NXT TV taping from Full Sail Live. Now, oh, this poses an interesting question, which we've never discussed. So why not do it on air? Why not? They tape three or four episodes at a time. Uh, So we just find the episodes and just... Just watch them. All right. Fine, um, doing them. Especially because, figure, if we did the five hours of All In on this one episode, this is when NXT was still an hour long. Oh, this would be so much easier. So we'll just find what episodes they taped at this taping. This was from the August 13th episode of uh, uh, the August 13th taping, which... Um, what year? 2015. So this would have been okay. the week before TakeOver Brooklyn won. <gasps> oh yeah so you're gonna get some interesting stuff now granted these i believe these tapings were for the post SummerSlam episodes 
you went to this. Yeah. You went to this and I didn't, but I remember the thing that happens at the end of the taping so that people don't know what happens at TakeOver. Yes, because I remember I sent a picture to many people saying, uh, what's going on here? Yes, this was actually really... Okay, all right. So, so next week on Times of Squared Circle, yeah, talking get about, to enjoy a random NXT taping. Yep. Um, which is actually... This is an interesting one to talk about because it's the last NXT uh, taping before before the first ever non-full sale NXT show. Now, they, oh, they so don't... Oh, is this the, they don't this ab- the Owens promo? Yes. Yes. All right. And they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't abandon full sale right away. And granted, they still tape their TV sh- episodes there, but their last, um, their last takeover at full sale isn't until 2016. So the end, right? the end, which we which is going to be part of this show as well. Oh, hot damn. Uh, it's actually show number 45. I'm looking at you right now. All right. So yeah, next week, show number 39 NXT TV taping from August 13th, 2015, which will probably be about two or three, maybe four episodes. I'll have to look that up, but we'll talk more about that on that, that episode. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. Take it away, Billy. Yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, we know this one's a bit on the longer side, so thank you guys for listening. Um, I fucking enjoyed it. Screw you guys. Yeah, this was fun. Um, as always, do a little plug. I have my other podcast, uh, Road to Revolution, My Journey with Lincoln Park. Those are out every Monday, and uh, we're going to be putting this one out on Wednesdays, as you see. So um, that's going to do it. I thank you guys for listening. For Times of Squared Circle, my name is Billy. Mom, Chris. And we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>